Welcome back to 4 for 4's The Most Accurate Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by friend in life, John Paulson. And John, I have to imagine as we hit the final wave of free agency and draft season's right around the corner, it's at least a little bit of relief, right, to settle into rosters and your projections in the back room? Yeah, it's uh, interesting seeing the pieces fall into place. Uh, I, I do not really touch projections until after the draft. I think it's kind of a tough exercise and not, uh, you know, you start falling in love with some people that you probably shouldn't be falling in love with because things are going to change so much after the draft. Um, but certainly knowing where some of these big names are landing, it's good to know and getting the depth charts organized and sort of getting my thoughts together on each of the players is, is uh, it's a good time to be doing that. And there is a ton, unsurprisingly, in this crazy NFL offseason that has happened since the last time we had a chance to chat. Reminder for everyone to go back to Monday's episode because they already discussed some of the fallout. But what I want to start with for you in particular is that you have not had an opportunity to spiel over Devontae Adams leaving your team, but then also explain the fallout and what you believe will happen with Devontae Adams headed to Las Vegas. So the floor is yours, sir. Yeah, I'm glad you did. You gave me two weeks to sort of digest uh, and uh, mourn the loss of Devontae. I mean, as a Packer fan, he was one of my favorite players and obviously just a great talent. He really came into the league and struggled that rookie year, and we kind of thought that maybe that was a mistake to draft him, but he obviously really improved uh, over that uh, year two, year three span and got to be really, really good. But um, So pouring one out for my man Devontae going to uh, – uh, Las Vegas and you know when he or when it came out that he was offered the same or more money by the Packers and still wanted to go play with his college teammate that was sort of say la vie I think the Packers from a re real world uh, standpoint did all right uh, getting a first and second round pick for him uh, and not having to pay his giant salary certainly helps uh, shore up other areas of the roster so if they can nail a pick or two in the draft uh, they could be okay uh as far as that's concerned. So that's going to be the key for Aaron Rodgers. It's obviously a big downgrade for him, uh, but I would expect that they use two of their first four picks all in the first or second round on a couple of receivers. Uh, I've expected them to draft receivers before and they haven't. So that there's no guarantee that that's going to happen, but if they can nail a pick or two, uh, I think that player will probably be the biggest beneficiary uh, of having Aaron Rodgers throw him the ball, you know, 100, 120 targets, something like that. Lazard, I think is, Probably destined for a number two, number three role at best. I uh, would not expect him to go into the season as the our, our wide receiver one there. Uh, that would be a, a probably an abject disaster if you're really looking at it from a personal standpoint. Nothing against Allen. He's a good player, a good blocker. Uh, and I think Rodgers has a really high uh, quarterback rating when he targets uh, Allen Lazard. So, I mean, coupled that with the loss of uh, Valdez Scantling, we really do have a big hole there at receiver. Um, so downgrade for Rodgers, and I think if you're looking at some other players that might benefit, Robert Tunyon is coming back for another year. Uh, he may see uh, a bigger role if he can get fully healthy. Uh, maybe, you know, instead of like the four or five targets he was seeing per game, maybe a little bit higher. Uh, Aaron Jones coming out of the backfield. He has His production has really spiked with uh, Devontae sidelined in recent years, but I think some of that has to do with just sort of a short-term band-aid when they know that Devontae's going to miss and they're trying to get through the week. Uh, I don't think they want to give Aaron Jones a ton of targets, uh, treat him as a receiver, but that's what they did in the short term. So I think, you know, trying to project his numbers based on 
what he did with Devante out is probably too aggressive for him, but I think it does benefit him a little bit because they probably will run the offense through him a little bit more. And then, like I said, uh, the rookie, whoever it is, or maybe rookies, uh, should stand to benefit there. Uh, and then just uh, if you want to talk about uh, Vegas. Uh, yeah, I want to I jump in here really quick and discuss the Packers before we move on because I keep coming back to the fact that Adam, since 2018, averaged 10.8 targets per game. That's a long span to be a double-digit target hoss from Aaron Rodgers. And so whenever I'm trying to place him – I genuinely don't know if it's as easy as going into best ball leagues right now and drafting him as a top five wide receiver via talent just because he now has more talent around him than he's ever had in his entire career. Uh, just to have Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, like these guys are underneath target monsters who I believe have to eat as well and can easily just get pounded targets if Adams gets into bracket or double coverage over the top. And so... I'm ask I want to ask you if you still have like the utmost confidence that Adams is a top five receiver in your books at this time. I think I have him at uh I can look. I think I have him at six wide receiver six. He's probably And a you threat. are updating your never too early rankings and yes. free agency winners and losers around the clock at the site for free at four four dot com. Yes. Uh, I do have him at wide receiver five. I believe I had him at two prior to this. Um and I think, you know, it's it's a downgrade from Rogers to Carr, but you, they have that history. So I think that mitigates it a bit. Uh, and then you look at what he did and I, there is some reason for concern, but if you look at what he did when Rogers was out, uh, he averaged 5.9 catches, which is quite a few, uh, 66 yards, 0.5 touchdowns on 9.5 targets per game, eight games without Rogers average 6.8 catches, 84 yards, 0.82 touchdowns on 9.8 targets per game with Rogers. And that was 79 games. And as you mentioned, he's been over, 10 targets per game for a while now. And this is going all the way back to 2016. So there's certainly a reason for concern. I think they signed him to, to be the lead guy in that passing game. And uh, I think there, there are worse places for him to be traded to and to land, I think other than uh, Las Vegas and, and being reunited with his old, uh, his old quarterback. So I think it's, it's a, it's a downgrade. The offense is not quite as good, but it's not a disaster for his fantasy value. And we, should throw out that performance with Jordan Love against the Chiefs last year. Since remember, Steve Spagnola just saw the light in Jordan Love's eyes whenever he sent the first blitz to the house and said, oh, that's how this game is going to go. And then just started sending the house every single snap Love took. Um, speaking on the rest of the Packers, though, I also think, and this is different from the way the rest of the industry is thinking right now, I do have somewhat a bit of concern about Alan Lazard because he has had these opportunities before, but if you strictly take from his performance last year, he never exceeded 80 yards, so essentially was a floor player throughout the year, and then to have eight touchdowns on 40 catches for a profile like Lazard who had never been that explosive in the past, I'm just concerned that we're banking on his touchdowns far too much. So right now he's going at the wide receiver 60 at underdog leagues. I'm okay with that. I still think that's value there. But if he ever gets steamed up to like, I don't know, wide receiver four range, that's probably when I would be out at this time. But you were about to spin off and talk about the other Packers ancillary receivers. Well, you know, I just wanted to note that I have Lazard at wide receiver 59, so that makes sense. Right there. His, 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 his ADP right now makes sense. Um, I don't, you know, they, the equanimous St. Brown was signed away. Valdez Scantling was signed away. So this, this is going to be a very different receiver room, and it's not worth speculating too much until we know what rookies 
or if they maybe make a trade for a veteran uh, in the next few months, uh, it's certainly possible. So, you know, this, this Green Bay situation is very unsettled. Uh, as far as the Raiders receivers, uh, you know, what happens with Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, they just get knocked down a peg in terms of targets. I mean, Renfro had a great season, great PPR guy to have. He had 128 targets. And even he benefited some from Darren Waller being injured. In, uh, Waller only played 11 games, had 93 targets. Uh, so that's obviously a, you know eight plus, eight plus targets per game for Waller. Um, so if all three are healthy, uh, they both, you know, Renfro and Waller are going to take a hit on their target shares with with Devonte Adams coming in there, probably seeing at least nine targets per game. Uh, so that's it's just a, it's the situation where maybe the 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 you know hot raising tides you know lifts all boats type of a situation where the the Raiders offense in, in, improves enough that it sort of offsets some of these uh downgrades what do you think of of Renfro and Waller with with Adams there Waller we agree on he is our tight end four right now and I'm I know this because I'm working on my best ball tiers in the background which should be released next week sometime and so that's where I have him currently I do worry, though, because we saw at times, even against the Rams, where they chose bracket coverage, and over the top, that's when Adam struggled the most. And so I don't think he's going to necessarily struggle, but I just keep going back to the volume and thinking, will that volume carry over? It's not good enough to cite, in my opinion, his, the fact that he and Derek Carr connected so much as teammates at Fresno State. Like, we are, what, five, six years removed from that? Um, I just need I need more information. I need more up-to-date data than that. So... I'm still I'm still tinkering honestly behind the scenes where I'm going to put Waller and Renfro or Renfro in particular. But for me, I'm also higher, I think, than you slightly on Aaron Jones. I'm trying to make sure I jam him as a low-end RB1, at least to start. Brian Gunahus, Packers GM, has said he wants an over-the-top threat, um, you know, which always brings to mind like a Will Fuller or a Drake London or like an early explosive rookie, maybe even Jamison Williams. We'll have to see who falls to them in the back end of the first round with their two picks. But Aaron Jones, we know, has played eight career games without Adams, and he's averaged two more catches and eight more fantasy points per game, 22.8 per game in those eight starts without Adams. And so I think we do get some more receiving upside from him. And then also, we knew after Tunyon at his elder age, I think he was 26 when he set career highs with the Packers. So already a late breakout last year, we knew he was due for regression, but now with this extra opportunity, it's going to depend how quickly he recovers from November's torn ACL. But we've seen in 2020, two starts he made without Devontae Adams, and he had 550 and a touchdown and six for 98 and three touchdowns in those two performances. Very, very small sample, but Given that he's also going as the tight end 23 right now, one of those guys you can grab hoping he starts, but also in a package of three or four tight ends in your late round options of best ball leagues. Like I think it's actually tremendous value since you're really not dependent on him to start or be at full health from week one anyhow. Yeah, and I think you're looking at the Packer offense being a spread it around whoever's open type of a situation now as opposed to you know his first look being Devontae Adams every time he drops back Aaron Rodgers. So uh, when, when he's out, you can see Rogers spread the ball around, uh, more significantly and it, it helps everybody. I mean, it's, he's going to pick and choose his spots as opposed to forcing it to into double coverage. Sometimes it's Devante who's still open, but, uh, I think that, I think it helps everyone there. Another big deal was the Tyreek Hill trade. And I talked about this in terms of dynasty 
with JJ Zacharyson and Ryan Medell. Make sure you go check out everyone that episode from last week. But with you, I want to talk about the redraft and best ball implications because we assume, right, that Tyreek Hill, at least the volume, won't be there given that the last two seasons, whenever they've had to answer against two eye safety, and I noted that in this podcast, he's averaged 9.9 targets per game. Not only did he have the explosiveness, he also was seeing the volume. And so what do you think happens in Tyreek Hill going to Miami? Well, I think they'll want to use him. Uh, it's just this is a similar situation to Adams, where you're just going from a you know great, fantastic quarterback to sort of an, um, a middle a middle of the road type quarterback, and the the offense might resemble the 49ers, which has been sort of run heavy lately, not really super pass heavy. So, how are they going to use Hill? Are they going to use him like Debo uh, Samuel? Uh, he's not that big he's faster but he's not a you know like a yak guy or a guy who's going to break a thousand tackles uh, like Debo was but if they do sort of hand him the ball in addition to um in addition to throwing it to him then maybe that'll you know benefit his his numbers a little bit um it's just it's, it has to be a downgrade for Hill going from Mahomes to to Tua uh and then you know looking at Jalen Waddle uh, he's one of my favorite players last year. Anybody who follows me probably saw a, a few penguin gifts, uh, you know, running, uh, down the ice, <laughs> trying to, uh, stay up, stay afloat. But, uh, Jalen Waddle has moved from you know wide receiver two type for me to a wide receiver, uh, three. Um, I think you're looking at him as the secondary target there. He had 140 targets last year. Uh, Devonte Parker, Average 7.3 targets uh, uh, per game last season as the team's wide receiver too. So I think that's where Waddle's you know volume sort of lands, maybe around seven, eight targets per game, as opposed to uh, a greater number that he saw last year. So um, you know Devontae Parker is probably going to get traded, or probably won't be on the team. But if he's a third receiver, he gets knocked down a peg, and Gasicki's uh, targets are going to take a hit as well. I think you're trying to force. Uh, Hill into the offense, and he's just going to have such a, a ripple effect throughout the uh, the roster. Tyreek Hill is going to be an interesting case study for wide backs in particular because right now, a lot of people, you're never too early rankings as well, have Debo Samuel as a top five wide receiver. And trust me, we're going to have enough episodes. It's a six month exodus, long off season to argue about like our disagreements and rankings. But right now, I, I genuinely think. I, like I am not going to be as high on Debo Samuel, if only because I'm not sure that wide back usage is actually good for our wide receivers. If our wide receivers are getting eight to ten targets and five to eight carries, okay, now we're cooking with gas. But the fact that Debo Samuel had to depend on scoring a touchdown for every ten carries, and when they first started using him as a wide back over the second half of the season, he averaged four point nine targets per game, slightly less than five. That's not the volume we want from our wide receivers. So if you're telling me that his volume in the passing game is going to increase along with the wide back usage. Okay. Now I can be convinced, but right now I'm not too convinced. And so if Tyreek Hill is going to get this wide back usage and also compete with Jalen Waddle for the similar role, I'm actually more interested in whomever we believe. And we have to still read some T news and or follow the tea leaves and follow the news nuggets here. Uh, I want to target the one who has the most opportunity in the passing game. And I'm not sure which one that is yet. Honestly, um, you and your, never too early rankings did push waddle down from wide receiver you had him like as a low-end wide receiver one and i believe he was a wide receiver 21 now and i think that's about right uh 
maybe everyone even falls below that. But I'll be interested to see where Tyreek Hills falls because at the end of the day, like give it a couple weeks for ADP to adjust. I, I don't think he's going to be a wide receiver one. He may be drafted as like a mid-wide receiver two, honestly. And at that case, I may be talking myself into it. Yeah, the interesting thing with with both Devontae and Tyreek being traded away from better situations is how does this impact the zero RB folks and how aggressive are they going to be drafting receivers in the first round? Now you have two guys that were first rounders, like no-brainer first rounders at the receiver position now probably going in the you know early second to early third round. Um, and how does that change draft approaches for, for the rest of us? Because um, you know, running backs might be a little bit more of a uh, target for us. For those of those of us that might go, in, you know, either way when we, it comes to our draft, we don't have a strict draft uh, plan in every in every draft. So um, I'm interested to see where their ADPs fall at this point. Um, but I think you know Tyreek is a fantastic player and he's going to be productive. And I don't think they're just they, they did all this to you know give him five targets a game and two carries or something like that. I think they're going to to use him um, probably more than Waddle, but we'll see. That's what haunts me. It reminds me of everyone, including myself, using the statistic about wide receivers changing teams during Stephon Diggs' first year with Josh Allen a couple seasons ago. The issue was that we had never seen a talent like Stephon Diggs really change teams. And so what do you think happens? He blows up and leads the league in targets, catches, and receiving yards. Uh, explosive talent like Tyreek Hill, assuming he has the same explosive, even if he ha- doesn't have as much volume, Maybe he can still be efficient as he was with Alex Smith in those last two seasons when he averaged the 15th and 5th most fantasy points per game on limited opportunity. So that's what I fear the most in him haunting me. With him going to the Dolphins, though, obviously leaves a crater in Kansas City for an opportunity. Marcus Valdez scantling from the outside, three-year, $30 million deal. Judas Schuster now we assume soaking up the slot. Nicole Hardman perhaps stepping into a role. So I'm just curious where you stand on those individuals, and is there a winner in your opinion? I'm not holding my breath for uh, Michael Hardman to actually turn into the third option there. I think they're probably they're still looking for a big name receiver or if they're going to draft somebody. They lost Byron Pringle, who was um, sort of outplaying Hardman all of last year, and Demarcus Robinson at times would also outplay him. And they just didn't seem they seem reluctant to use Hardman at any consistent level uh, in terms of route, routes run. So I'm not holding my breath there. I do think that Juju has some upside there. Uh, you know he's still young, uh, and has had some great seasons not too long ago. Uh, so you know maybe not that that uh, was the second season where he really blew up. Maybe that two seasons ago where he had a thousand yards, I think, or close to a thousand yards and nine touchdowns or something like that. So I think he could lead that offense and har- targets, but it sort of depends on who they else they add at receiver. Again, they could draft somebody or they could uh, make a trade. Apparently, they're looking. Uh, still looking to add talent to that receiver room. Um, Valdez Scantling does add that speed that uh, Tyreek had and can take the top off the defense. And that's why the Packers are now looking for somebody who can take the top off the defense because he's got that sub 4-4 speed. Uh, he's also got a big body. Um, Matt Harmon uh, did a reception perception uh, on him, and he's a very limited route tree in terms of success rate, but they're you know important routes uh, – uh, the nine and some of the other uh, deep routes. So, and he was getting better. Uh, and he, he, when he was healthy and doing uh, and, and active, he was uh, getting fed the ball. I think late in the season, he had a good um, stretch as well. Um, and I think that he can 
play a big role in that offense, but I don't know if it's going to be a consistent role given the nature of his game. He's he's sort of a guy that's going to get five to seven targets and has to catch one or two deep balls, you know, to really help you. I think from a best ball standpoint, that helps you. Um, but in a standard redraft, uh, when you're you know you're looking for some consistency, I don't know that he's going to be an every week starter for you. To your point, Nicole Hardman has played nine career games that Tyreek Hill was either out or limited as a part-time player for. And in those contests, Hardman averaged five targets, 46 receiving yards, and scored a touchdown in three of nine said games. He only turns 24 in March, but the fact he has yet to earn targets in his career is certainly worrisome. Also, Marquez Valdez-Scanling doesn't replace Tyreek Hill 1v1 since he's genuinely just not a one-for-one talent that can do as many things. He will have splash games and that's why i'm interested in best ball because Harman even i did a best ball draft for our for for youtube page and he fell to the 15th round i really thought i've never drafted but go hardman i saw him in a 15 out of 20 round league and said okay that's when i start talking but other earlier than that i'm not convinced i also think like you Judas smith schuster is the real opportunity winner here you talked about him being well performing well two seasons ago he was a pontoon boat right he didn't really move the chains but he'd still soaked up eight targets per game that's okay that's the volume we want you go back to last year he only played four healthy games but averaged 6.8 per game before he got injured and so if you're telling me you're going to get that kind of volume from Patrick Mahomes now we're talking so like you I also will be targeting Judas Smith-Schuster what's really interesting though is the Travis Kelsey dilemma because we're expecting regression right at age 31 but at the same time you could argue the volume is so good, like maybe screw the regression. And even in like FFPC or your tight end premium home leagues, he should still be maybe a number one overall pick, at least top three. Yeah, and he's actually 32. He turns 33 in October. Oh, okay. Uh, so we're, it by one. Yeah, we are. Um, we're, 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 getting, we're getting up there in age, though. I mean, I, I went from 94 yards per game to 70 yards per game last year. His receptions dropped from 7.0 to 5.8. Now the the extra targets could keep him afloat, and I think he's a rock solid tight end one, obviously. But is he for me? Is he the number one overall tight end? I think at the start of this season or this year, I was looking at Mark Andrews, kind of taking that mantle, and it's really was pretty tight. But I think with with Hill um, moved on and the current state of that receiving core, I think Kelsey is the tight end one. But I think maybe the larger question with the tight end position is that. These elite guys don't look as elite. There are some questions. I think Ian Hartit said a good uh, tweet about it. Like there's a there's some questions about all the top five. You got Devonte Adams going to Darren Waller. You've got uh, you know wondering if Andrews is going to keep up his production with Lamar Jackson. It was pretty good with Lamar Jackson, but it was even better uh, with Tyler Huntley. Um, and whether or not Kelsey can fend off uh, you know Father Time. Uh, so and then some, and then you get into some of these other tight ends that are out there, and you you know you look at the what uh, the tight end two rankings, and there are some really appealing names of breakout candidates there, or some guys coming back, or so maybe this is that one year where it's actually true the tight end is getting deep, uh, but maybe it's more about uh, the the cl- relative closeness of the tight end two tier with those elite tight ends, and maybe it's not as uh, we'll have to wait to see what the projections say in terms of uh, relative value, but maybe it's not as a, a necessary to to draft an early tight end to to stay ahead of the position. We'll definitely have a number of Ravens discussions this offseason because both Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews played, well, 
Marquise Brown played significantly better with Lamar Jackson, who was injured for most of the year. Mark Andrews, like you said, played significantly better with Tyler Huntley. And so you have to think that Andrews already hit his apex, still young, but that was basically his breakout season. And we were drafting him at a discount last year. So it makes sense. Uh, this is the year I want to regret to go ahead and fade him. But at the same time, it gets so weak, so quick at that volatile position that maybe even as the tight end four, tight end five, like that's good enough. We still take it over the other guys. Lastly, before we move on, I want to mention Leonard Fournette with you because he's resigned with Tampa Bay since the last time we talked. And this is not going to be a discussion about if you like Leonard Fournette. Like Leonard Fournette averaged 6.1 targets and 18 touches per game across the 14 healthy starts he made for the Bucks last year and has zilch for competition this season since we know Ronald Jones moved on to Kansas City. Gio Bernard also a free agent. What I want to do with you is play a name game, actually. So let's try to pin down where we will be drafting Leonard Fournette, at least at this time, assuming they don't add another running back and he stays healthy. And I'll start with Joe Mixon, who's currently being drafted as the eighth running back off the board at underdog. Uh, right now, I would take Mixon over Fournette. Nick Chubb at number nine. Chubb. Interesting. Okay. Alvin Kamara, number 10. I would take Kamara. DeAndre Swift, 11, who tied Fournette for the league lead at their position in targets per game last year. I have Fournette at 11 and Swift at 12. Okay, just a couple others then. Um, Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, Antonio Gibson. Have, Fournette ahead of those? Yes, Fournette, stand out? Fournette's ahead of all three of those. So right now it sounds like you have Fournette pinned at RB11, and underdog ADP hasn't caught up yet. It's still adjusting to the move. I would imagine he gets into the mid to late seconds third, depending on your draft room, if everyone's pecking off wide receivers, since you could make a strong case for the top eight wide receivers. I think that's where he will probably land. Yeah, I think second round sounds right for me. He was RB5 last year and half PPR, got Tom Brady back. As you mentioned, no competition. I think the, the tricky name, I thought you were going to mention him as Javante Williams, because we just don't know if, if uh, Melvin Gordon is going to move on or not. And right now I have Javante one spot ahead of Fournette, but Fournette's situation is a lot more clear. Javante Williams is a good one, especially because they keep teasing us. Every report you hear is that both sides want to get something done, but like the contract negotiations aren't getting closer. It's just very clear. Both want to reunite. And if they reunite, that would be a disaster because Melvin Gordon didn't necessarily do anything wrong. He was outplayed, but he didn't play himself off the field. Right. He took care of the ball for the most part, minus that one game everyone remembers in the final quarter of a blowout in the second half of the season and was still like essentially their goal line back. So that's the one situation I keep watching as well, and we will definitely keep monitoring it. Let's take a quick second, though, and come back and finish strong with our takeaways from the coaches' meeting. Right now, if you sign up at Underdog as a new subscriber, not only will you receive a free pro subscription to 4 for 4 with access to all of our off-season content, including our around-the-clock Discord conversations, Underdog will also match your deposit up to $100 by 100% literally mirror it and there are no catches just download the underdog app use the promo code four for four when depositing that's the number four word the number again and presto i have not told you exactly which quotes i'm going to throw on you but i had been monitoring john the coaches quotes from the coaches and owners meeting and i think we got a few good nuggets to discuss here so let's start with cliff kingsbury and rondell moore because he said on more a bigger role, there's no doubt. Last year, just with the numbers, 
he kind of got lost in the shuffle more than he should have. With Christian Kirk leaving, we expect him, more that is, to fill that role. He continued, we're going to try to give him the ball more. You've seen what Kyle has done there with Debo because every coach now compares their shifty wide receiver to Debo Samuel since it's a copycat league. He finds different ways to give Debo the ball. We're going to be creative with Rondale because when he touches it, good things happen. We know, Paulson, that there is a myriad of opportunity there after Christian Kirk left. DeAndre Hopkins comes back healthy, and what's encouraging to me is that the way they talk about using more is that when they used Antoine Wesley to plug in for Hopkins, they literally didn't change the rules whatsoever. They just said, what if this guy's Hopkins? What if he just stays on the boundary for 90% of his snaps and doesn't move, and we just throw him coin tosses down the field? So like, if they truly do just want to plop in more for Christian Kirk, that, in my opinion, would be the best-case scenario given Moore's profile. Yeah, he's basically gone from wide receiver four or five there in terms of targets per game, uh, looking at probably a number two role there. I mean, they did re-sign Ertz, which I think is you know, a good spot for Ertz. Uh, but yeah, looking at what where Christian Kirk ran his routes primarily from the slot, he's a much different receiver than Rondell Moore. So they're going to have to do different things, but they're already talking about that and basically playing, you know, showing their hand. So I think uh, Moore gets a big bump this year in terms of playing time, and that's going to lead to production for him. Also, the fact that Ertz averaged eight and a half targets in eight games without Hopkins, but then came back to Earth with four and a half targets per game whenever he played with Hopkins, maybe that is a reason that he was only soaking up that opportunity because he existed, like he was there. So if now it's more in that role, there should be a reason for us to buy elsewhere. And although Ertz is a terrific floor play at a volatile position, I would rather get the much rather get the younger, more explosive player and hope wager that he gets more targets in that offense. Yeah, it sort of depends on when Ertz, where Ertz lands in the positional rankings and ADP, you know, whether or not I'm going to be interested because right now it does look to me like he's probably the third option in the passing game, but he could have some, he could have some games where he's the number two uh, ahead of more. Um, but we just get to see how this wide receiver room shakes out because they're losing a lot of targets from last year, as you well know, from doing the, uh, uh, doing the target tracker. And they are rumored and expert mock drafts to take a wide receiver in the first round as well. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Andy Reid also spoke at the coaches meeting. He talked about Ronald Jones and said, I like Ronald. I like the side speeds that he has. He's got good vision. He needs that opportunity to feel like he's a major part of this thing. Andy Reid then went on to talk about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And he says, I've got Clyde in there too. It'll help take some pressure off of Clyde. And he, they'll, he and Ronald Jones, of course, will work together and have a pretty good combo there. So, your thoughts on the Ronald Jones shakeout, which the Monday crew already talked about, and they weren't so much out on Ronald Jones as they were tired that they may have to be in on him yet again. Uh, uh, Ronald Jones is just makes it just makes me laugh, not because they anything to do with him, but our friend Pat uh, Crane just is a Rojo lover, and I just over the last few years it's been comical watching this roller coaster ride that he's been on. Um, pretty good spot for him to land, I think. Edward Tolaire is kind of a vulnerable RB1. I think Andy Reid's description of what the backfield might look like underlines that, underscores that. I think Jones, you might see him in an early down role with Edward Tolaire in more of a third down back role. And now you're really killing the fantasy value of the backfield in terms of trying to gauge week to week who you should be starting. But um, 
so these two should be ranked pretty close, I think, in in early rankings. Uh, and as far as projections, you're you're gonna get a PPR bump with Edwards Hilaire. But um, you know, Jones, if if he doesn't find his way into the doghouse quickly, he could be a pretty productive runner and you know, just getting those first and second down carries. We are two years into the CEH experiment, experience, whatever the hell you want to call it. And I want everyone at home to think about this that since week two of his rookie year. So we're excluding Edwards Lair's opening night usage in the pandemic, no penalty season of 2020, which was amazing for offense against the Texans in front of the world on primetime. So since week two of his rookie year, Edwards Lair's totaled, totaled five carries inside the five-yard line. That physicality role, the money touches for our running backs, they don't view him as that, at least two years into his career. Whereas Darrell Williams last year, who's now off the team, and we assume Ronald Jones takes over for, led the Chiefs with 14 carries from inside the five-yard line. So that kind of role, given and depending on where Ronald Jones goes in redraft leagues and best ball leagues, I think that kind of role is important. And that's the kind of role I want to target since even on limited volume, even if we're saying Ronald Jones is going to mix in for five to 10 carries, if we can also assume the bruising goal line role, that's okay. I'll take that at a discount. Yeah, he's got some upside there. If either if either player gets injured, that's a really valuable role to have. If they're getting if they're suddenly getting fifteen to twenty touches in that offense, but you know, right now it looks like it's going to be a, a fairly 50-50 split in terms of playing time. Moving on, Seattle owner John Schneider, GM, was asked about re-signing tight end Will Disley to the incredible three-year, twenty-four million contract that they gave him—more money that was expected—and then he responded, Schneider did that another team that knows Disley well was coming after him. Offensively right now, his leadership is huge. He's a core dude on this offense. So one makes me ask, what the hell is this offense in that case? And two, more importantly, I want to talk to you about Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf because this is honestly an ambiguous offense. We don't know what's going to happen between quarterback or if Drew Locke stays a quarterback, the production that comes with it. But right now, despite the and big ambiguity, DK Metcalf is the wide receiver 15 on underdog. Tyler Lockett's the wide receiver 34. That disparity makes zero sense to me since we don't know the situation. And that's sort of where I'm pinning my discount out. What are your thoughts on the matter? Yeah, this is, I mean, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be. If Right now, if it's Drew Locke and they're, they're saying that they're big fans of Drew Locke and they think that he's got untapped <laughs> potential and they're ready to go into the season with him, uh, it's tough. Like you've gone from Russell Wilson to Drew Locke. So it's just, it's tough for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. They both slid down the rankings significantly on this move. Um, you know, maybe if they make a trade for Baker Mayfield, we start to bump them up a little bit. I think Mayfield's decent, would be decent for their fantasy value. Obviously, not a Russell Wilson type, but um, somebody competent enough to deliver the ball where there needs to be. Uh, I think the, what you're talking, I mean, I've always been a big Tyler Lockett fan, but the disparity is, is that DK Metcalf is just his, his ceiling is so high that he, he ends up getting drafted ahead of Lockett, even though he probably shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be um, just based on their roles and, you know, overall route running ability. I mean, Metcalf's a good route runner too, but Tyler Lockett's phenomenal. Um, but now it's like, who, who does Drew Lock like? Like, are they going to breakfast with, anybody like is he going to breakfast with Metcalf or is he going with, with Lockett or is there a third party involved like what's going on you're trying to figure out what the situation is there uh, in terms of targets and the distribution and everything but the not knowing who the quarterback's going to be right now makes it 
I just am kind of hands off unless these guys are really falling in drafts. That's probably the best approach, but like you, we've seen Tyler Lockett literally win your weeks in some cases when he's fully healthy. And it's not just their wide receiver rankings, it's the ADP. Literally, Metcalf is going three and a half rounds earlier than Lockett. And that's when I step in and say, okay, hold up. I don't give a, I don't care about the situation. Like I'm still going to draft a very talented player at this discount you're giving me. And that's still the way I'm going to handle it. One more quarterback situation before we get out of here. We'll end on this note because Kyle Shanahan was asked about his communication with his quarterbacks. And in terms of communicating with Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason, he responded, we don't do a lot of talking in the offseason. Jimmy is not the most communicating guy. He was then asked about Trey Lance, and he responded, Trey is a guy I talk to all the time. Shanahan also vaguely said that they're making sure that Lance receives every offseason rep as he continues to develop, which leaves it wide open. But I say all that to say... My beef with you is that right now you have Lance in your never-too-early rankings, the QB22 overall, a low-end QB2. And so is that you just playing it safe, or do you think that Garoppolo stays on this roster uh, and right now you're just not adjusting too heavily to account for him getting traded with his injury? You know, this is a tea-leaf situation because just the, the, the type of information that we've that's come out of San Francisco is that they don't think Lance is ready. Uh, and Grapple hasn't been moved yet. There's a chance that Grapple might be back. And if he is back, is he the best one to lead the team? So I, we don't even know that Lance is going to be the starter. So I, I think at the start of this, when I when I first did these rankings, he was at 15. He was up by Justin Fields. And I thought that it was a done deal that Grapple would be gone. But as time has moved on here and he's still on the team, and some of the stuff came out about Lance, just, you know, that doesn't seem like the, the team thinks he's ready or there's some concerns, you know, wh- where do we, where do we rank him at that point? Doesn't even, you can't even guarantee that he's going to be starting week one. Uh, so then therefore he, he goes down into that wide receiver t- or uh, quarterback two with high potential, high upside, but um, a lot of risk as well. I am admittedly a sucker one for his first start, which, wasn't even as good. May go down as the worst game of his career. And that against the Cardinals, remember, Lance threw for less than 200 yards, did not throw or run for a touchdown, and was stonewalled at the goal line on fourth and short for what would have been his only touchdown of the day. And yet, despite that performance, finished the week as the QB 16 overall because he added 16 carries for 89 yards. So I keep thinking, if you can play that bad, right? Even as a rookie without George Kittle in that game as well. Like, what do you have when it all clicks? And we saw against the Texans. I wouldn't even say that was his best game either in week 17 at the end of the year. He had eight carries, 31 yards, didn't score a rushing touchdown, but through the air, 200 yards, three touchdowns. That alone, not even his best performance, good enough though to make him the QB 10 on the week. And so when it all clicks, that's what I'm trying to be ahead of. But to your point, I was trying to be ahead of it last year and it ended up screwing me because, you know, you got to bet on these things as if they happen. Um, You just got to keep asking yourself, what do you win if you win? And what I told myself was, well, if Lance wins this job and he's my QB two, essentially, then I'm winning a lot of money. Whereas that's the gamble I was making. And that gamble did not come to fruition at all. So I think definitely you're playing it safe at this point. I'm being more risky, but also at this time, I'm also doing best ball tournaments. Whereas if there's some sickos out there doing, three, six team, 12 teams, using Lance as your low end QB two and perhaps even in three QB builds, I think you're onto something. I think that's definitely the safer way to play. Yeah. And he's got like 
Jalen Hurts upside. I mean, he's everything you want in terms of the Konami code and the being able to having that rushing floor going. And uh, also, if he like, he was the one where the one rookie last year where if he won the starting job, you could legitimately see QB one type numbers uh, out of him. But it didn't it didn't transpire that way. It's just a good offense. It's a lot of talent around it. It's well well managed. And if he does step into that starting role, he's he's going to produce. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it. But just right now, I'm not sure he's going to be the starter. And instead, we had Jimmy Garoppolo, the undrafted individual, leading the league in yards per tent. Paulson, tell everyone what you have on the site right now. Well, I just uh, posted the uh, fantasy winners and losers, so that's probably the the, the thing to hit right now. I, I went through all the uh, the, the free agent and uh, trades over the last few weeks and kind of parsed out who I think uh, benefited and um, got hurt by those moves. And uh, my next big task is to deal with the draft and then uh, put out the projections after the draft. So looking forward to it. And remember in this new era of the most accurate podcast, we genuinely would appreciate it if you would rate and review the podcast once you've listened, assuming you've enjoyed. Until then, though, you know him. He's John Paulson. I'm John Daigle. We will see you next time.